1: Well, hey, friends, welcome to another episode of Homeschool Your Way. We are your hosts, Jimena and Didi, also known as the Chips and Salsa Ladies from Chips and Salsa Homeschooling. Today, we are so excited because we are going to learn about yet another homeschool approach. If you've been listening to us, you would know that we have been discovering different styles of homeschooling and different approaches, and we really want to encourage you to check out our first episode of the series called Seven Styles of Homeschooling so that you can get a quick recap of all of these styles. But today we're going to be talking about the classical approach and we have a special guest with us, Misty Winkler. Welcome! Yay!
2: Misty, we are so excited to hear more about the classical approach. Misty Winkler is a second generation homeschooling mom of five. Married to her high school sweetheart for 20 years, she helps homeschoolers organize their attitudes and their lives at simplyconvivial.com. She's also a co-host of Skolay Sisters, a podcast for classical homeschool moms who like to read and think. Awesome. Thank you so
1: much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So we're going to get into this topic, and I'm so excited. But before we do that, um, we want to talk about the hack of the week.
2: So,
3: Misty, do you have a hack for us? I have a hack for my homeschool that has saved our homeschool morning mood for the last several years. So it's worked for the long haul. So it's a good hack. (laughs) Um, We had this trouble For My oldest is going to be 18 soon. So we've been homeschooling a long time. For years, I had the problem of getting the homeschool day started. You know, someone would be playing Legos. Someone would have gotten um, started on like homeschool type, always something on the computer, right? They're involved in something. People are everywhere around the house. And I want to pull everyone together to get started. And so I'd be like shouting or trying to figure out where people are. They'd be in the middle of something and not want to be interrupted. And uh, it was like just getting our homeschool day started on the wrong foot all the time. And so I started instituting a startup song. So I play a song on, you know, the loudest speakers that we have. And by the end of the song, everyone is supposed to be in the living room. (laughs) so it means I don't have to shout and everyone has about three or four minutes to finish up what they were doing and you know get their drink of water use the bathroom whatever it is like they're like but mom just one more minute they have four minutes and then we start and so that just helped get us started so much better that is an Awesome homeschool
1: hack. Thank you for that. I love that. Yeah, I, I actually just did a whole presentation about the power of music and brain science to get your kids in a good mood and doing things.
3: Oh, that's cool. It is an upbeat song, too. It does help.
1: Yes, it absolutely does. You're a person after my own heart because I've I used to use the Mission Impossible theme when I oh, really I needed to get like them to clean up something fast when they were younger. And then we kind of morphed into playlists, which we've mentioned on the podcast a lot. So I have all these 30 minute playlists where we get our morning chores done. But that's what wakes us up. And then I, I rotate it, you know, That then we've made it thematic. And it's just been really fun. I love that. Music is so fun and important to incorporate in your homeschool. Thank you for sharing that with us.
2: Well, if you have a homeschool hack you'd like to share with us, visit us at bookshark.com slash podcast. We'd love to feature your hack on a future episode.
1: All right, well, let's get started. I can't wait to pick your brain because you just seem like such an amazing person, Misty. And let's start off by just you telling us about your homeschool journey.
3: Yeah, well, my homeschool journey started with my parents actually hearing the focus on the family interview with uh, Raymond Moore it was better late than early way back in the 80s. <laughs> so my parents started homeschooling me from the very beginning, and I'm the oldest of seven kids. Oh, wow. And so we were all homeschooled. I was homeschooled until my junior year of high school, at which point I went to the community college and um, did that for two years and then uh, went to University of Idaho and got my four-year degree when I was 20. And my husband also did the same program and he was homeschooled until high school as well. So both of us were homeschooled when we were, we got married at 19. Wow. (laughs) I love this. We actually, at first, before we had kids, were thinking about not homeschooling. It wasn't our first plan because I think having lived through, you know, we're both the oldest, we lived through the kind of the the rough start of figuring it out from scratch and saw some of the, you know, issues that can come up. Yes, the guinea pig. We were the (laughs) guinea pigs. (laughs) So we weren't going to do that. We were going to try to start a classical school. And the classical school did not get off the ground. And so we decided, well, that's fine. You know, we can figure, you know, homeschooling is not a bad option. It's totally fine. We'll just have to like, we have having been through it, like it's going to be our job as second generation to uh, keep that momentum moving forward, you know, like take it to the next level. So kind of, we felt like a responsibility to learn from the mistakes and Keep, keep the ball rolling. And it's funny because a few years ago, uh, the classical school that we, you know, some of the same people, there is a classical school in our area now. And so I asked my husband, I said, well, you know, that school now, are, are we going to change? And he said, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. The homeschooling has, you know, our, our kids are being educated, it's um, just been a great lifestyle for our family. And we love it. And I'm so glad that that classical school didn't get started because uh, we've really enjoyed homeschooling.
1: Oh, I love that. That is such a great story. It
2: really is. So you already were in the classical approach when you got married.
3: Is that what your parents used? No, back in the day, it was really you were either a Becca or Bob Jones. Right. Oh, like. it's like those <laughs> were the three kinds of homeschoolers that you could could pick from.
1: <laughs> wow!
3: But classical homeschooling, classical education, kind of started picking up momentum about the time I was in high school. Maybe that's around when Susan Weiss Bauer's book came out, "The Well Educated Mind." Okay um and like Veritas Press started publishing classical materials so it was um kind of a movement that gained a lot of steam in some of the circles that we were in at the time and I think that really what first attracted me to it was just feeling you know maybe a little bit of the the firstborn thing going on but I just wanted to do a good job and it sounded like that's that classical education was trying to help you do a good job. <laughs> and like they had a plan. And so that got me into reading Susan Weiss Bauer's book and some other material, uh, Doug Wilson's books on classical education. And um yeah, then the reading, the reading journey never really ended at that point. It started there and it never ended. <laughs>
1: Okay, well, Misty, can you give us a, just a summary of what the classical approach is?
3: Yeah, so classical education, the idea goes back as far as Plato and Aristotle, and that's really why it's classical. It's like that classical Greek and Roman period. Uh, they both wrote about education and what it means to uh, pursue wisdom, really, and uh, They were looking at how to raise up people who would um, pursue and love wisdom and virtue in their lives. And really for centuries, it was just called education. Um, And it wasn't in the progressive era where the progressive era rejected all the ideas before about education and wanted to start from scratch. And so really, in a way, classical education is just about going back to all that was written about education before the modern period and saying, well, you know what? Maybe those people had something important to tell us, (laughs) some experience to go on. So it's really more about forming a whole person rather than preparing for a certain job or uh, any kind of technical purpose specifically that could become outdated uh, classical uh, the classical approach is more timeless because it's about forming the person and the person you know humans haven't really changed fundamentally from the beginning. so um from Plato and Aristotle, then in the Middle Ages, that I, the ideas were continued to be developed. And uh, schools were started. It's, um, some of the important educators were in monasteries because that's where the books were. And so then books started being written about education. And so it kind of draws on that tradition. And what was studied was codified in the Middle Ages as the um, quadrivium or the liberal arts, the seven liberal arts, the trivium and the quadrivium, but all together makes seven. And these were the arts that you were supposed to learn so that you could go on and continue learning. So they were what you needed to know to then go out and do pretty much anything.
2: Okay. All right. I'm about to get, I'm about to get schooled right now.
3: (laughs) So we've heard of the trivium. Yeah. Yeah. And that is includes what? So the Trivium is uh, grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And those are the language arts. Oh, good. I knew that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, what's the other thing you said? <laughs> so that, then the Quadrivium, it, it doesn't get the same kind of press as the Trivium. <laughs> so, so the Quadrivium will include arithmetic, music, geometry, and astronomy as the mathematical arts.
1: Oh, amazing. Mathematical arts.
3: Yeah. Oh, I had never heard of that. That's I, awesome. I must have skipped that
2: section in Susan's um, book. <laughs> Me it too. It's a very thick book.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: I read it when I first was trying to figure out if I wanted to homeschool. So you can imagine I was so lost about with so many things, but you know, I was still super intrigued by it. So this is awesome. Thank you for that awesome explanation because... I learned right now. Yeah. Well, and I would say I started homeschooling with
2: the classical approach as kind of my desire, Um, but I don't think I really did it to the book. Do you do the classical approach to the
3: book? Well, that's kind of the funny thing with classical education is, you know, what is the book? There's there's Susan Weiss Bauer, and that's a book, and that's a very big book. (laughs) (laughs) That seems to be the book. That a yeah. lot of people follow. <laughs> That's true, uh, and it's a great book, and it's a great beginning. But really, you know, classical education is being recovered in a way, and Susan White bauers book is one of the very first books in that recovery process of a very ancient tradition. So, as far as any book that was written, you know, before the modern era so something written in that tradition of the classical uh, liberal arts, there really isn't a single book or a single go-to author who has it all put together, partly because really the how-to manual is just a modern concept. <laughs> they really didn't do that before right. the modern, modern period.
1: period. That's so interesting. That's, that's so good. Um, well, so what are some of the challenges, if any, that you've experienced teaching this classical method to your children?
3: I think because there is no, you know, single authoritative source. And because, you know, for the last 20 years, I've been reading about classical education and, and continuing to learn more about what it really means. So I think a big challenge is never really feeling sure whether or not i get to claim the label. <laughs> it's like i don't right. know am i? I'm trying, i'm interested, i'm reading, i'm letting what i'm reading shape the education that i'm giving. But there is no checklist that says, well, as long as you are doing these things in your homeschool day, then you're classically educating. Looking at the ancient and medieval authors, it's it's less about the the books or the curriculum that you're teaching from. And it's really more about a mindset and approach and a set of goals that they are concerned with. So, you know, that's something that is not cut and dry and and takes continual reevaluation. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I agree with you, Misty, because that's what I feel like I wanted to do the classical approach. But at some point, I wasn't sure I was doing it right. And as the kids, got, as we kind of got the ball rolling, it's so hard to go back and say, oh, let's sure up.
1: You know, I was just like, oh, I guess we're eclectic.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what happened to me, too. Do you teach Latin? Like we do do Latin. So I feel like at least I got that check mark, but we nice. are not fluent. I mean, it's been so spotty and I've switched programs three times and it's like, well, I think that getting Latin is a good thing. I call for, to my kids who don't like it. Um, I tell them it's math with language for your brain. Right. Um, But Uh, I do think that's a part of the the recovery of classical education that's still a generation or two away, really.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Do you think that it was easier for you to embrace this approach um, having been homeschooled? Because I know that a lot of the things that or a lot of the reasons why just parents struggle with homeschooling period is because they've been so institutionalized or, you know, they have to like. D school in order to be able to embrace
3: something like this? Yeah, completely. Um, because a college classroom is the only classroom I've ever been in. Um, and so, and like I said, when my, my parents homeschooled, it was Bob Jones or Rebecca or unschooling. And my parents did... Bob Jones in the morning and unschooling the rest, the rest of the, rest the time. time. <laughs> so it's like I got a little <laughs> bit of both. Nice. And, and that approach just helped me come into homeschooling, recognizing that real learning doesn't happen during school hours. The school hours prepare you, and they give you, they can help give you a work ethic and make you um, study things that you wouldn't necessarily on your own. So that then later on your own you might develop an interest. But um both my husband and I came into homeschooling recognizing that what we learned the best, we learned, we learned outside, outside of the of textbooks. The textbooks. Hmm. So going into homeschooling, we were more concerned with setting up an atmosphere of learning and good habits and um and less about making sure certain things happen at certain times and, and without the worry really that our kids were going to learn enough or te- like we, we didn't have those concerns that people fresh into homeschooling from a school environment do have. And we had supportive parents as well. And, you know, sometimes just that pressure of feeling like you have to prove yourself to your husband or your parents also adds a lot of stress. And so, Without those, uh, it seemed it felt a lot freer to try something out and not feel like it had to work out for everything to work out.
1: Yeah, that's so good.
3: Yeah, that totally makes sense.
2: So what do you say to someone who is interested in the classical approach? Is there anyone that you would discourage from doing this method? Oh, I don't think I
3: would discourage anyone from it. I don't I don't think it would be for everyone. So I don't, I don't, I wouldn't pressure anyone to choose it. I would just say, you know, read about education generally and you'll probably start tending more that direction because really the philosophy of classical education is raising lifelong learners who are interested in the world and can, um, and that have the tools, the abilities, To learn anything else. And I think that really at heart, that's what we as homeschoolers want. And so whether or not you do Latin or some of these other things to me isn't as important as um, just going all in on that idea of lifelong learning Yeah, Mm -hmm. and, and continuing to read and get encouragement in that direction. Yeah, that's so good. Well, I hope that our
1: listeners, what they're hearing, you know, after listening to some of these episodes about approaches is that (laughs) it really ends up being more of a mindset, right? The approaches are basically just tools and slight variations really to, uh, to an education, but really everybody's goal in homeschooling is to create lifelong learners, is to build on character, is to teach them life skills, you know. And so I think that it's it's so important to, to take note of this if you feel overwhelmed at so many different ways that you could homeschool. Know that the very core, the very basic is to train your children up to learn and to love learning, right? And everything so else just kind of falls... And into place, depending on your style and your choices and and your preferences, really. Yeah, one hundred
3: percent.
2: Well, I can't wait to hear more with Misty about how to implement the classical approach into our homeschool. After a quick break. Hey, Jimena. Take a break from your regular curriculum like to do a fun field trip or a unit study. Oh, yeah I do that all the time. I love to mix things up. Well, I know your son loves science You should check out the new unit study from bookshark. It's all about volcanoes and it's free Ooh, Free I like that. Yeah, just go to bookshark.com freebies to see this new unit study and all
1: their other free offers Well, my kids are too old for this since it's for grades three to six, but it looks exactly like something we would have loved to do. And it's literature-based like all of Bookshark curriculum. So, there's a book you'll need called How
2: Hot Is Lava. You can probably get a copy from your library. The free unit study tells you which pages to read each day and then provides vocabulary words, discussion questions, activity pages, hands-on activity ideas, a YouTube video playlist, dictation passages, art study, and more.
1: Wow, that's a lot of great stuff. And I love that it's a two-week study. That's a perfect length in my opinion. You get to dive deep into volcanoes and then you're done. Absolutely. It's a no strings attached offer from Bookshark for
2: grades three through six. Just go to bookshark.com slash freebies to request your PDF. Welcome back to the show. Today, we're talking about the classical method of homeschooling, and we're so happy to be learning from Misty Winkler. We're going to get into the practicality of homeschooling right now, but first, let's do our weekly reflection.
1: Well, every week, we have a time that we set apart during the second segment to share a lesson learned, an aha moment, maybe an inspiring quote, or maybe a book that you're reading. And today... Misty is going to share one with us. What do you have for us, Misty?
3: I have a quote and um this might be like a life quote <laughs> if I had one. Um one of my favorite quotes that keeps coming back to me and helping me um remember what's important and get back on track when I get off track is this quote by Goethe. Uh he was a German thinker in the 1700s. And he, he wrote lots of little pithy sayings, but my favorite is cease endlessly striving for what you would like to do and learn to love what must be done. Mm, Mm. Oh, I love that. So that's good. I've been thinking about that and applying that for, well, decades now, just recognizing where I let just my own selfish preferences Or maybe just unrealistic perfectionist ideas Mm, try to dictate, well, this is the way things should go. And it's like, well, no, what must be done? Well, the laundry must be done, the dishes must be done. Those aren't necessarily getting in the way of my real life. They are my real life. And I can learn to love even doing the dishes and the laundry and the phonics lesson. And it's Mm. harder. It's it's it's, harder than it it sounds, but uh, it's a very uh, rewarding thought to pursue. Yes. Well,
2: that's finding the joy in the mundane. Yes. yes. I was just about to say I knew I, <laughs> I, that's why I said it first. <laughs> it out of my brain. I knew you were going to say it.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Well, thanks for sharing that with us, Misty. That was lovely and definitely something to chew on and to encourage our listeners with because what you are doing in the mundane is just worth a treasure down the road and even today. So, Be present.
2: It's so true. It reminds me of that quote from Sarah McKenzie that says, let go of your idea of what you wanted the day to look like and embrace the day that is. Yes. Yes. We have to embrace what is today and enjoy
1: it. Because if we don't, we're going to look back and say, what have I done with my life? (laughs) Oh, yes. Yeah. And enjoy it, guys, because it goes so fast. And we say it all the time. It sounds cliche. But we're at the end of almost at the end of our journey. And I'm still telling myself, enjoy every day. Enjoy the mundane. Enjoy the little moments. Savor every moment because, you know, it's not always going to be there. So true. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, we would love to hear what inspires you, our listeners. If you have an aha moment, an inspirational quote, or a book that you're just getting so much life out of, visit us at bookshark.com slash podcast. And we'd love to feature your reflection on a future episode.
1: Okay, well, let's get back into our topic for today. We are talking about the classical approach to homeschooling. So we really... I think got some great insight from you on the last segment. But now we want to get into the practicality of it. So can you walk us through what a day in your life would look like, in, you know, in your family by doing this classical approach?
3: Yeah, I think in a lot of ways it it doesn't look different than um an eclectic approach really because uh it it is we do do Latin, but it really is that lifestyle approach to learning. So, um, it's not, I think a lot of times people might get the idea hearing about classical education or reading the Susan Weiss Bauer book and think that classical education has to be rigid right? (laughs) and like, like, you know, on a schedule and boom, 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 but that's not what classical looks like in our home. And, um, it doesn't. It doesn't have to look that way, and I think that sometimes that trying to be too scheduled gets in the way of learning. And so, since we're prioritizing learning, we have to be flexible enough to um, use wisdom on the fly in the situation that we're at. And so, sometimes that might mean sticking with a math lesson with a child because they just need the extra time and handholding. And we really need to stick with this and work at it together. And then sometimes it means, okay, you're, you're crying over this math lesson. We're just going to put it away for today. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just the biggest struggle in homeschooling, the day-to-day nitty gritty homeschooling, no matter what approach you use is being able to make those judgment calls with confidence. And part of the confidence is knowing that you're not going to blow it one day. <laughs> one right. day is not it going to blow it. Blow You've it. got another day. And you're just, you're learning too as the homeschool parent. We're learning what we're teaching. And, and we're also learning, um, I don't know, about therapy, therapy and counseling, counseling during the math <laughs> lessons. <laughs> to be yes. advisors and guides to our children along the way. And so if it feels exhausting. But it's it's a good work.
1: Yes. It's funny that you say that about being willing to be relaxed. Because when I read the book, uh, Susan Bauer's book, I felt really small. You know, like I was like, okay, I'm never going to be able to do this to the T. It just felt super overwhelming, super strict. And then she was one of the keynote speakers at this conference that Didi and I spoke at uh, last year. And she was the most relaxed like encouraging person. I was like, did you write this book? (laughs) 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 Because it was like awesome to hear that from her mouth, you know, how how she uses her intuition and just, again, focusing on the love of learning versus the everyday grind, you know? And so that was really freeing to hear that from her.
2: Well, it is because you're right, if we get so caught up in finishing the book or finishing the curriculum on the set schedule and we have to finish this many math lessons a week, man, some that alone sucks the joy right out of our homeschool. And I think... It's easy to get that idea when you read The Well-Trained Mind and you see how Susan gets so much done. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. She came across so relaxed and so in tune with the her, her children's feelings and how they were grasping the material. And it wasn't all about the books as much as the student. Yeah. So good. So... Misty, when you call your kids with that song in the morning and you get them all together, what does that look like as you begin to, you know, get
3: down to the nitty gritty of the day? Yeah, so I have some kids who like to get their mornings started and some kids who don't. So that morning song pulls everyone together, whether they are Doddling and not getting their chores done, or they've already finished half their math, or wherever they're at each individually, uh, we start off um, with morning time. So I learned that from Cindy Rollins. Uh, I was following her blog from when my oldest, who's now 18, was a kindergartner, and her blog's gone, but her um, encouragement to have a time together during the day. She called it morning time. We do it in the morning. It doesn't have to be in the morning. Um, Pam Barnhill has a great book called Better Together on Morning Time. And it has become, so we have been doing it from the beginning, taking Cindy's advice. And it has become um, the biggest blessing to our family to have a time where we are doing everything together because other. Otherwise, most people are just reading their own books, doing their own math, and I'm kind of floating around child to child. But during morning time, we're all together and being a family and being interested in the same things. We do memory work. um, We read the Bible, and we sometimes have a different read aloud as well as a family. And that time just helps set the tone for the rest of the day. And it's a tone of, we're all in this together, and this is um, interesting. We sing some more music, you know that. And I, I've, I've found that you can't sing and have a bad attitude at the same time. <laughs> mm. That's so true. <laughs> so, so I love starting the day with some singing and just kind of getting on the same page. If there are, are announcements for the day or whatever that need to happen things happening later in the day, we have a time and a place to just get on the same page for the day. And then after that, people split and usually get started with their math if they haven't done some of that already. And I'm just kind of floating math tutor. Um, I have a friend who has kids the same age as mine and she lives on the same street. So it's a great setup. And we kind of do a little bit of co-schooling then two or three times a week where we split the age ages of the kids, so younger kids get, um, you know, books read aloud to them, tailored to their needs. And usually, I have the older kids, and we're doing, uh, you know, grammar or science or something together. And that has helped us actually make sure things get done because I'm great at making a plan and not so great at following through. But if other people are coming to my house at a certain time, then it happens. <laughs> Yep, so. that is so cool. We
2: uh, love homeschooling in our community. We have a co-op with us two plus two other moms, and man, I just wish that you lived on my street. <laughs> right? That would make it so much easier.
1: I'm only 15 minutes away from you. <laughs> yes, that's true. But I mean, yeah, it. We still have to drive.
3: Yeah. Well, it's, it's helpful <laughs> it's to just send the kids down the street. It's yes. Awesome.
1: <laughs> We could probably just send them walking and they'd get there like in two hours.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, she used to live like a half an hour away. And it was great. It was fine going there. But on the way home, I would always hit traffic.
1: Yeah. Like in that five
2: o'clock traffic hour, which was the worst. Now it's 15 minutes, no matter what time of day. Yeah,
1: it's nice. Well, I think that what you said, though, about getting stuff done um, and it happening through community is something that we need to reiterate because we, we're we big on reiterating community and the importance of it and it's true I mean it's so much easier for me to just be like eh let's just drop this book because we're, not, we're not liking it versus like Let's talk about it with the rest of the co-op and do we want to drop the book or no, let's give it a few more chapters, you know, and we have kind of that encouragement constantly and the kids get encouraged too because they know they're going to have to talk about it, you know, Mm -hmm. in discussion. And so it definitely does help, but it's done in a very, I think, loving and safe way. You know, and so I I really want to continue encouraging our listeners to find people that you can school with, even if it's one or two things. I mean, we started doing art and music because we started homeschooling together. We weren't doing it on our own. Mm -hmm. And that just really encouraged us. And then all of a sudden, oh, we have tea and poetry and art and music. Wow. (laughs) Well, yeah. And it's like you said,
2: I'm the same way. It's really a lot easier to get that lesson prepared and ready when you know the whole co-op's coming over. (laughs) Then if it was just your own kids, you're more likely to say, oh man, I
3: forgot that. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. You know, our kids will do that. I give them a checklist. Um, It's a weekly checklist and they are likely to look at the thing and say, I don't, Like, do I really have to do that? Or I'm just not gonna do that today and kind of see what happens. And it's easy for that to be frustrating until I remember just how likely I am also to just do the exact same thing with my checklist. But somehow I say, you know, well, it's okay for me, but it's not okay for you to just say we're not gonna do that today.
1: That's so true.
3: (laughs) It is. Oh man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're all feeling. Yeah. (laughs) Feeling all the feels right now.
2: Well, if a parent came to you asking how they could get started with the classical approach, how do you advise them?
3: Well, if they were really interested in learning about the liberal arts and the trivium and the quadrivium and kind of the big ideas, then I love the book, The Liberal Arts Tradition by Kevin Clark and Robbie Jane, uh, Classical Academic Press publishes that book. That's one of my favorites. Um, but if, you know, it was more just a, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested in learning more, or I just want a little bit of encouragement. Um, I think that just finding a few podcasts or blog posts, um, is a great way to just kind of dip your toes in and, and see what it's all about and get a feel for it rather than going for a, the, the books can be kind of overwhelming, like I said with Susan Rice Bowers, but yet her talks are encouraging. So finding those, I, I love conference talks and and you can find a lot of those available online now or through podcasts. And um, so I would, I would encourage people to just research through um, podcasts and conference talks. That's some great
1: advice. Well, so I know that classical homeschooling tends to be very book heavy, right? You read a lot of the classics. So what if you have a child that just does not enjoy reading?
3: One of my um, little soapboxes is that audiobooks count as reading. (laughs) We are big audiobook people in our house and so sometimes um, there's a, there can be a lot going on behind the scenes of someone who doesn't enjoy reading. And so it's just finding different avenues kind of around that and trying to notice what's really going on with not enjoying reading. It could be a lot of things, including, you know, physical or um, other struggles that make reading hard that they can't quite articulate or that you can't quite see. And so um, I'd encourage people to not, to think of it less as um, how many and what kind of books are my kids reading on their own or, and definitely not how much are they complaining because the, the kids are going to complain. Gonna... <laughs> That's true. <laughs> the, the kids complaints, complaints can't be, can't the, be measure.
1: the measure. <laughs> yep.
3: <laughs> but it's whether it, what are they picking up on their own, and if they aren't reading as a hobby or as much as you know, I might hope that they would. I can still put an audiobook on in the car. We can still do a read aloud after dinner or during lunch, and and just getting um, stories and good language in their ears. Uh, can even be better than through their eyes. There's some research um, that I've heard from Andrew Poudoir actually on how the language development through listening is actually, you know, can be better than your eyes because your eyes aren't actually processing every single, single word, word most word of the time. time.
1: Hmm.
3: So, so it's, really, it's really classical education is a books centric approach uh, the books are important but there are different ways to get those books in rather than just while well, the kids have to read everything on their own
2: mhm
1: yeah that's so important to remember my daughter uh, struggles with auditory pro- processing disorder and audiobooks don't really work so great for her because you know mm-hmm. it, it's harder for her to to hear things um and so what i find when there are books that are really challenging, we we do just read alouds with her, and she'll read the books that she wants on her own. And if she's really interested, she will understand most of it. Um, and But when we read really challenging books like the classics, I end up kind of doing a brief summary of each chapter before we read it. Mm-hmm. And so then she's grasping things along the way and kind of like, picking it up like, oh, there's that part. Oh, okay, there's that part versus trying to have to sort it all out in her brain. And it ends up being a great experience because then we get deeper into each chapter. So, you know, it might not be a conventional way of doing it. But like you said, it really is what is right for your children. You know, yeah. we, there's no sense in giving her a stack of classics if she's not going to understand or enjoy any of it.
2: Yeah, Yeah. That's really good, Ximena, because you're really giving her what to hunt for, like a treasure hunt as she listens to the book versus, like you said, if she's not able to create those pictures by herself.
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's really a a homeschool mom's job is Is noticing noticing what's going going on with with your your child child and and experimenting experimenting with different different ways ways to help them and finding out what works works, and... and it's it's, it's it's challenging, challenging but, but it's, it's also, also rewarding, rewarding when you do, do kind of figure, figure out, out how to help your, your child, child learn.
1: Yeah.
2: What I love about talking with you, Misty, is you are not only someone who graduated homeschool, but you continue to learn. You are a student of the educational process, and that's really commendable. And I love all the things that you've been saying. Well, what practical tips or hacks um, have helped you in your homeschool journey?
3: I think one of the things that I ended up learning early on, probably my oldest was eight or 10 and kind of hitting that stage where it's like, oh, it's time to get serious, like (laughs) starting to matter and count a little bit more. Uh, And we would end up having more conflict in our homeschool mornings than was good for either of us. Uh, partly because I'm a firstborn and he's a firstborn and we both had ideas, ideas about, so the, way about the way things should, things should go. go. <laughs> and and I, realized I realized that my plan was all in my head. And so what he was hearing was just commands from me, like, like okay, okay, we're gotcha. doing this, this then the next, thing, next thing and, and then and next, the thing. next thing. And, and so, so, you know, you know he was, he, was, he was just like deer, like deer in the deer headlights, headlights every right? homeschool morning. <laughs> like, what's, what's, what's <laughs> next? What's going to happen, happen next? next? I don't know. And so writing it out for a while, we put it on a whiteboard. Uh, pretty soon it evolved into checklists and the kids would have their own checklist and I would have my own checklist. And that helped a lot of the tension or confusion because they could see that the work wasn't infinite, because in the morning it feels to them like it's going like it's infinite if they don't have an end point and they don't really know what's coming, they're just waiting for the next command. But to see that there's a certain amount of work, and if you get it done, you have this much free time. And if you don't get it done, if you take a long time, if you just spend your morning staring out the window no. doing math. <laughs> Well, you're going to be doing, doing
1: math, math all day. All day. <laughs> oh man, you mean my son is not the only one who does that for yeah.
3: 2 hours straight?
2: <laughs> well, that's so good, Misty. I love that because you're right. Kids thrive off of routine and knowing what's coming next, and even my 14-year-old asked me, "Mom, what are we doing today? What are what what's what are we doing this week?" It could be five o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, we've done it. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Nothing else is on the routine. But even as the kids get older, they want to know what's expected, what's coming
1: next. And that really gives them a sense of security, I feel like. Mm-hmm. You know, I so identify what you said about the plan is in your head. That happens to me so many times. And I used to be so good about explaining everything to my younger kids. As they've gotten older, I don't know what's happened to me. Maybe I just, you know, I don't know. I assume they're going to telepathically know what's <laughs> coming or something. But I've been more careless about it. And I'll be like, Gates, hey, why aren't you ready? I didn't even know we were going out, you know, when they're all mm. confused. I'm like, yeah. what? I told you that. we? No, you didn't. You didn't say anything to us, mom. And I'm like, I didn't, you know, in my head, I had yeah. it all planned out. And I never took the time to tell them, this is what we're doing today.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's the genius of your morning. I forget what you called it. Your morning, morning meeting. time, Because we're creative like that.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's <laughs> well, the, all you need.
2: That's the genius of the morning time. Because you're getting them all in one place, and what I find is, I told you that. No, you told so and so. Yes. Know? <laughs> oh,
3: yeah. oh yeah.
2: Or no, mom, that was me. Oh, well, I thought it was. I thought everybody was there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's funny. Well, this has been wonderful. Just to end this awesome interview, and we ask this of all our guests: Is do you have some advice that you would give your former self?
3: Uh, Yeah, I have actually a piece of advice that uh, every other older homeschool mom did give my former self (laughs) (laughs) that that my own experience has only confirmed as, you know, anytime I fall off the bandwagon with it. And uh, that was you have to inspect what you expect Where, if so, say I do put something on the clipboard, if I never follow up with them and check in with that, like my expectation should just be that it wasn't done.
1: Mm. (laughs) That's good.
3: And so, the importance of following through. And one of the things I've found as I've um, practiced that, and then the times where I haven't practiced that, is that my paying attention to their work, because I would, by default, be an assign, assign it and forget it. Homeschool mom.
2: Yes. <laughs> but oh, if, if you I forget it, they're forgetting it. it just, <laughs>
3: just guaranteed. And then I don't really have a ground to stand on. Really, you know, I can, I can be mad at them, but it, it was my responsibility first. And so I have to take responsibility. And if I'm paying attention, if I want them to pay attention, I have to pay attention. And a part of following through with them isn't, you know, like policing their work so much as caring. And that, that, that my paying attention to their work and asking to see it and asking how it's going and double checking their clipboard um, is, is my way of saying that this matters. It matters to me. And that helps them see that it matters to themselves as well. That's so good. I'm notorious for
1: setting up systems and then not following through, and I feel terrible always by the end of the year because you know I have all these scratch, you know, stickers. Oh, you scratch this and you win this, or you do that, and then (laughs) I did it maybe twice last year, and I'm just you know, but I'm going to get better, Misty. It happens, you know, even after eight years of homeschooling. (laughs) Yeah.
3: It's always the hope is that the system will make it happen. But it's it's really just always like the laundry doesn't do itself and neither does the homeschooling. It's always just continual attention that has to be given. So good.
2: (laughs) That is excellent advice, Misty. Thank you so much for that advice. Thank you for this awesome conversation. We've enjoyed having you on the show so much. This is
3: great. Thank you so much for having me. I love it.
1: Yes, thank you. Where can our listeners find your blog or anywhere where you uh, inspire us further on this amazing approach that you have embarked on?
3: Yeah, you can find my blog at simplyconvivial.com. Uh, or you can search for Simply Convivial or Misty Winkler online, and you don't have to spell either of them correctly. Google will get you there. Nice. <laughs> so. Oh, that's good to know. <laughs> and then I'm also on the Skolay Sisters podcast, and that is a homeschooling podcast for classical homeschool moms. So that'd be a great resource for finding more about classical homeschooling. At Simply Convivial, I talk about homeschooling as well as the homemaking and habits side of just the whole life picture and managing all the details uh convivial means doing life together uh it's con and vive you've got your yes.
0: latin roots there
3: <laughs> but doing life together and also doing it with joy and cheerfulness so that's what i write about It's simply convivial i'm also excited i'm um in process soon, I will have a book called The Convivial Homeschool that will release on Amazon in, in October. So oh, nice. that's coming out soon. Yes.
1: Congratulations. That's
2: amazing. Thank you so much for your time and all of the great advice that you've given today. It's so inspiring. Yes, thank you.
3: Thank you so much for having me. This was a great podcast.
1: Well, thank you to our listeners. We hope that you were encouraged just as much as we were on this episode. And now that you know more about the classical approach, now you can figure out whether it is for you or not, and you can decide to homeschool your way. So again, thanks for listening, friends. Until next time, bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Homeschool Your Way, a podcast by Bookshark. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening now so you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you have questions you'd like the hosts to answer or have any feedback about the podcast, please visit bookshark.com podcast to leave your comments. Or you can simply email podcast at bookshark.com.